So here we are, week five of our study through the book of Philippians. Um, the main theme of this book is joy. And so that's why we've called this series uh, A Joyful Community. And over the past four weeks, we've looked at how a joyful community unites around the power of the gospel. Uh, week two was a joyful community is a prayerful community. Week three was a joyful community advances through adversity. Last week, we looked at how a joyful community becomes more like Jesus. And today we're going to look at, which is week five, a joyful community forsakes the flesh. So we're going to jump straight in. We're going to read a massive portion of scripture. So please bear with me. Uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you flick to Philippians? Uh, we're going to be jumping into chapter three today, reading from verse one all the way through to verse 21. So if you've got your Bible, open them up or you could scroll there with me as we run through the first 21 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Here we go. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, as is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But what gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not count and consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you about and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Hey, why don't we pray? God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this message. I thank you for this whole series, Lord, as we come through this book of Philippians, that, um, Lord, you would help us to uh, have ears that are open to hear, hearts that are open to receive, Lord God, and a willingness to not just uh, attain information, but to apply what we've learned so it would outwork into transformation. Lord, help us to grow in health in our relationship with you and our relationship with others. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, uh, that is a large portion of Scripture. We just read the whole chapter of uh, whole chapter 3. And, and for me, as, as I look back over this chapter, there's a couple of verses that really jump out to me. Um, there's a couple that are, uh, two in particular that I want to hinge this morning's message on. And that is verse 3, uh, firstly, which says, Put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. And the other is verse 8, which is, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul doesn't put any confidence in his flesh, which, by the way, he states he could if he wanted to because of his impressive pedigree and resume, but instead he counts everything as a loss or worthless when compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. So here's a question for all of us. Uh, when it comes to your relationship to Jesus, do you see it as surpassing worth? Do you see your walk with God, your relationship with Jesus, being with Jesus as the thing of ultimate worth and value in your life, as we see Paul does here? I found the old, tra- uh, the old saying to be dangerously true, and that is that familiarity breeds contempt. And I've experienced this time and time in my life where um, you know, people become so familiar with you that they actually start to see your faults, see your imperfections, and, and the, the honor, the trust, or whatever it is, um, the way they see you starts to diminish because they're so familiar with you. Um, and, and I remember years ago, uh, oh no, years, oh, a couple of years ago now, um, uh, Willow, our, our middle child, wanted a, a rabbit. And she desperately for months wanted this rabbit. And, and um, I've never wanted a pet rabbit. I've never had a pet rabbit. I have no desire for a pet rabbit. But for some reason, she had it in her head. She wanted a pet rabbit. And, and so what happened was, after months and months of begging and pleading and, and crying and writing letters of, um, you know, why she should have this rabbit and how responsible she'll be for it, we, um, we eventually made a rookie decision trying to be the cool parents and spontaneously took her to a pet store, uh, bought this rabbit, bought a little hutch for it, bought all the little um, things that, that this rabbit needed to, you know, be good or whatever. And so we became rabbit parents. Um, and, and so it was wonderful um, for the first 24 hours. And, and she loved this rabbit and she would cuddle it, she would feed it, she would clean it. It was wonderful. But, but very quickly and, and within the first week, I found that this concept of familiarity breeds contempt set in real quick with this rabbit because the more familiar she became with the rabbit the more she was aware of how much care it needed and how much its hutch stank from its own waste and every day had to be cleaned out and she could not handle that and she started to have a sense of contempt or disconnectedness or disinterest in that rabbit so what, what, what she desperately wanted for so long and now had the familiarity breeded a contempt where what once was her pet rabbit now by default became my pet rabbit. And I found myself um, cleaning up after it, emptying its cage, feeding it, uh, all this sort of thing. I never wanted a pet rabbit, but here I was with a pet rabbit. And so cutting a very long story short, um, after much discussion, 
and um, highlighting her disinterest and lack of responsibility, we decided to uh, give that rabbit away. And that was a very, very happy day for me. But the principle there is that, that familiarity can breed contempt. And, and, and we see that in relationships with, with limited impact in regard to um, you know, friendships and stuff on this earth. But, but if that principle, if that, that concept um, comes into place with our relationship with Jesus, then it actually has eternal ramifications. Um, if we find Jesus being played out in the scenario of familiarity becomes brings contempt when it comes to a relationship with God and we come to church because we, we feel like we have this obligation or we serve because we feel like we should or we pray because I'd feel guilty if I didn't and we read the Bible because, well, that's what Christians do and we start to enter into this uh, stage of our walk with God where it becomes autopilot and because I should or because I have to, then we become so familiar with the Christian culture that it breeds a contempt for the things of the Spirit and the practices of our regeneration and, and our sanctification. And, and that actually has eternal ramifications because our heart starts to become disengaged with God and we start to become fleshly engaged in autopilot and it can actually be quite devastating. So back to my original question, um, does our relationship with Jesus, um, is it seen as having surpassing worth in us? Well, well, my question would be is, what would our look, lives look like, right, if, if knowing Jesus had surpassing worth in our life? If knowing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, having a personal relationship with the name above every other name, the name by which every knee will bow at some point, the fact that we get to engage on a one-on-one -on -one level with the, the designer and the creator of all things, if we got to a place where we didn't see that as a common thing or just, a, yeah, that, that's just what it is. But, but we saw it with such awe and reverence that knowing Jesus had surpassing worth in our life, what might our lives begin to look like? Perhaps we might worry less, right? Perhaps we might love more. Perhaps if, if knowing Jesus had surpassing worth in our life, we'd be more confident, Maybe we'd take more risk and live more by faith. Maybe we would be more generous with what we have and share more freely without looking to our own self-interests. And maybe, just maybe, we might even take our sin more seriously. Interesting thoughts. And this is worth considering because in verse 17, Paul encourages us to imitate him and to imitate those who walk according to this same example. In fact, he says the same thing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. We see the example set before us by Paul who's ultimately imitating Christ of how the Christian life should be lived. So perhaps this week, perhaps moving into the future, we could take a leaf from the pages of Paul's life and start to see Jesus and our relationship with him as having surpassing worth. And if we did that, 
what might change. I, I dare you to try it. I dare you to try and shift your mindset to see your relationship with Jesus as having no, there's no other thing on this planet of more worth or value than knowing him. And maybe even dare to journal it. What might change? How might your life improve? What might God do through you if you saw that as the ultimate? Now here's what I want to do. I want to jump back in and, and break down this passage verse by verse and look at why the flesh is worth forsaking, which is verse 3. The other thing in, in these 21 verses that I see is important is that, that whole putting no confidence in the flesh. So, so I want to look down and look at why the flesh is, not, is worth forsaking and how it trips us up and robs us of our potential in Christ. See, the, the flesh, it's such a Christian term, right? It, it is a bit of Christianese in there that, that most of us have a fairly loose definition of it. So, so what do we mean when we say the flesh? Well, the Holy Spirit, which we know is, is the, the, the power of the presence of God, God himself, God's presence, God's spirit in us. The Holy Spirit and the flesh are the opposing forces that exist within the believer, you and I. Essentially, it is our, the flesh is our not yet fully sanctified self or our sinful nature. That there are three parts to our salvation uh, process when it comes to becoming a Christian or a follower of Jesus. The first is our justification, that we are justified. When we, when we confess our sins and ask Jesus to forgive us and to enter our life, we are justified. We are made brand new. We are born again. It is just as if I had never sinned. I am made brand new. And then we start this process after justification of sanctification where this is the life of the Christian, where we start to have the rough edges of our life slowly worn off as we, as we start to follow Jesus, trust him more. Um, we are, we've already been saved by our sin, but we are not yet fully saved because we're going through this process where we are in the wrestle of this, the, re, the redeeming and restoring presence of God in our life and the sinful nature that's at war with that as we move on that process. And at the end of our salvation process is glorification, which we see at the end of uh, this chapter, where we get given a brand new body and we pass from this earth to eternity with God and everything is made brand new again. So you and I find ourselves right now in this present age in the sanctification process of our salvation, where we are, have f fully been saved, but not yet to the extent of glorification. And so we're working out our salvation, I suppose, with fear and trembling. And so our flesh is that sinful nature that we're still wrestling with that's opposing what God's plan is for our life. Essentially, um, if you find yourself wanting to think, speak or behave in a manner that is contrary to what the Bible teaches, then to forsake the flesh is to choose what the Bible says or choose the Spirit of God over your urges or desires, which is our flesh. And Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 21, really unpacks, Paul unpacks this really clearly, right? And this is what I love about the Bible. And what I love about, like, the Apostle Paul is, like, the Bible doesn't paint him in this picture of perfection. That Paul is not this guy who we should worship because he's amazing, does incredible things. And uh, he's a real bloke and a real human like all of us here who has real temptations and faces real issues. 
And so in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 to 21, we see this wrestle, this struggle that Paul has, where he says, you know what, I, I don't do the things I want to do, but then I do do the things I don't want to do. There's this wrestle inside of me where I know that, hey, this is the good I should be doing, but I just don't do it sometimes. And I know there's stuff over here that I really shouldn't do, but I find myself doing that at times as well. Why? Because there is a wrestle inside of us between the Spirit of God and our fleshly human desires that on the process of sanctification, this war is um, unleashed until we pass from this life and are glorified with a new body. Okay, so let's get back to this passage in Philippians chapter 3. And look at what Paul is saying, and we'll hold that up against what the flesh um, might do in opposition to these things. Right, so in verse 1, it encourages us to rejoice in the Lord. But the flesh says, hey, rejoice in yourself. You're awesome. You can do everything. Philippians says, look out for the dogs. Look out for those evildoers. The flesh actually joins the evildoers in doing bad things because by very nature, this is what it is. Philippians says, hey, don't put confidence in the flesh. The flesh says, look, I only have confidence in myself. I don't need to have faith in God. I'm doing a great job. I'm fine. Thank you very much. In verse 4 to 8 in Philippians, although he doesn't, Paul lays out the reasons why he might have confidence in his flesh. The flesh's response to that is we can all justify why our flesh can be trusted and obeyed and we can surrender to what we want. But in light of our track records in, in, uh, held against God's truth, we find ourselves falling short time and time again, that our flesh lies to us and, 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 and we cannot put confidence in it because it always falls short of what God's standard is for our life. Verse 9 says that righteousness comes from faith in Christ and not from the law. But the flesh is self-righteous and it exalts the law so it can prove itself worthy by its own achievements and merits, even though its attempts are ultimately, and history would prove so, to be futile. Verse 10 and 11 says righteousness allows us to know Jesus and therefore share in his sufferings and attain resurrection. The flesh avoids suffering because its self-righteous nature thinks it doesn't deserve it and then blames others if and when this sort of thing happens. When it suffers or when it has pain, it blames other people because the flesh is so self-righteous it should not endure stuff because it's, that's not fair. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I don't deserve this stuff. But we will share in the sufferings of Christ as if we had to share in his glory. Verse 12 says, I'm imperfect, but I press on. The flesh says, you know what, I'm weak. And the flesh will cave under pressure. Uh, verse 13 says, forget what's behind and strain for what's ahead. The flesh holds grudges from the past and uses them to hold their future hostage. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they made me feel. And so it, it goes back to the past the flesh and holds on to offense, it holds on to circumstances, holds on to bitterness, and then holds its future hostage, which the future is ultimately in Christ freedom. And the Christian that holds on to the past actually uh, holds its hostage, its future hostage by these things. But, but Philippians are saying, hey, forget what's behind. 
Choose forgiveness. Forgiveness, side note, is the cornerstone of our Christian faith, yet is the one thing that tends to trip us up time and time again in our journey of faith moving forward. If it started in forgiveness, why can't we allow it to maintain in forgiveness and forgive other people, love other people? That's a little side note. So we forget what's behind, strafe what's ahead. Verse 14 says, to, to press on toward the upward call of Jesus. But the flesh is unsubmissive and does whatever it pleases. Verse 15, 16 says, the mature will lean into this. But the flesh is immature. The flesh is self-focused and will not lean into this because it's infantile like a child. And it only thinks of itself. Verse 17 says, imitate Paul and those who set the same example as him. The flesh does whatever, whatever it feels like and only follows whatever or whoever affirms what they have chosen to believe. So they won't follow anyone who disagrees with what they, disagree, with what, what they think. They will only follow those who will affirm them and agree with what they've decided to believe. And sometimes uh, we have to be mature, like the Bible says, and, and lean into people like Paul and the apostles who are following Jesus. And, and our lifestyle and our morals and our standards might not agree with that, but we have to take a knee to follow the ways of the kingdom. We have to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not our preference and what we think, and we have to yield to that. But the flesh doesn't like that, and it'll put around itself... Um, uh, teachers and people uh, that will tell it what its itching ears want to hear. Verse 20 to 21. We are citizens of heaven who await our Savior, Jesus Christ, to transform us into our glorified body. The flesh only thinks temporarily about instant gratification and not about things of an eternal nature. Where the Bible says, hey, listen, let's have an eternal perspective. Let's think as citizens of heaven. And in the, in the process of this sanctification, the process of our salvation being fully worked out, um, let, let's await Jesus who will transform us, who will glorify us into the, to, to our, our fullest self at that day. So going back to the key verses we see in chapter 3, verse 3, put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 8, indeed I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So how do we measure up to this passage? Do we truly forsake the flesh that's at war with the Spirit of God in us? Or do we feed the flesh and its desires that will ultimately lead us away from God? And I think the way we do that, the way we forsake the flesh is choosing to live a life where knowing Jesus is of surpassing worth in our world. And what might our life look like if, if knowing Jesus had the ultimate worth? Would we be more loving? Would we be more kind? Would we worry less? Would we be more kind? Would we be more generous? Would we take our sin more seriously? Would, be more, would we be more obedient to God's call on our life? Would we trust Him more? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this chapter of Philippians. I thank you for these key verses, Lord. Would you help us to um, not put confidence in our flesh? Help us to realize that the, the spirit of our flesh is ultimately just for us, but help us forsake that. Help us to be the joyful community that forsakes the flesh, the joyful community that leans into the spirit of God, the joyful community that sees knowing you as surpassing worth, and Lord, let us marvel at what you do in us and through us 
by taking on this mindset and putting you at ultimate value in our world. Lord, we love you. God, we need you. Would you bless us today? Amen.